You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. Last weekend, we started a series on Habakkuk, and some of you thought, oh, Habakkuk, okay, whatever, let's see how this goes. And you realized, okay, this is actually applicable to my life. This actually makes sense. Um, Habakkuk was written by the prophet Habakkuk, and the reason it's a little different than other prophetic books is because usually it records the prophecy that is delivered to the people. And this is different because it's really just recording Habakkuk's Uh, interactions with God, his conversations with the Lord and his complaints, quite frankly. And so last week we kind of walked through what this looks like. Habakkuk begins with a major question, God, how long will I cry out for help before you answer? God, are you even there? Do you even see me? Do you even know what's going on in my world? And God responds and he says, yes, I do. And here's what I'm going to do about it. Because his complaint was, our people are evil. And you need to do something about it. And God says, you got it. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to send the Babylonians and they're going to come in and they're even more evil than you guys are. And they're going to come in and bring judgment on you. And then Habakkuk was like, oh, can we talk about this? Because I don't know if I like that answer to my prayer. And so he essentially asked the second question. And this question essentially is, they're even more evil than we are. And how how long are you going to let evil prosper in our world? And I love this question because this is a question we could probably ask ourselves. If we look around our world, it feels like evil is prospering. It feels like wickedness is on the increase. And it's easy for us to ask the question, God, how long are you going to put up with this? God, are you going to let this happen forever? Are you going to do anything about this? And this is essentially the question that Habakkuk asks at the end of chapter one. So he has his first complaint, God responds, and then he has his second complaint. God, I thought my first problem was bad, but this problem might be even worse. What are you going to do about it? And so he asks the question, and then he concludes in chapter 2, verse 1, by saying this. He says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at the guard post. There I will wait and see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. And the big idea last week was that we bring everything to God. Everything. Not just our good stuff or our requests, but we bring our complaints, we bring our heartache, we bring our disappointment, and we bring it to the Lord. We deliver it to him. And see, the problem is we give our complaints to everyone else instead of the Lord. And God says, no, 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 you bring those to me. And God didn't condemn Habakkuk for bringing his complaints to him. He he allowed him to bring those complaints because that's what God wants us to do with our complaint. So let me get started in verse two today. It says, then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. He says, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, but you need to write this stuff down because you're going to forget. And I tell leaders this all the time. Leaders think we communicate better than we actually do, but we don't communicate very well most of the time. It's not clear. It's not effective. It's not repetitive enough. And as a result, uh, people don't get what we're actually saying. And so God says, this message is so important. I want you to write it down because it needs to be clear. People need to get what I'm saying. So he says, write my answer plainly on tablets. Write it out so people can understand it. He says, this vision is for a future time. It describes the end and and it will be fulfilled. 
If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. He says, you're gonna think it's delayed, but it's not. And this is, this is what happens so many times for us. We pray a prayer and say, God, I'm in trouble. Will you help me? And God says, yeah. You go, great. Would you help me now? And he goes, no. God, if you were good, you'd help me now. God, I need you right now. Do this now. And we like God's answer, yes, but we don't like God's timing. God, I want you to do this now. And God is warning Habakkuk up front. He's saying, hey, I'm gonna answer your prayer, but it's not gonna be in your timing. Are you okay with that? Do you trust me enough that I'm gonna answer your prayer, but not in the timing you want? And this is a test of faith for us. That God, I trust you enough that you're gonna answer my prayer, but just not in the timing I want you to answer it in. So God, I'm gonna say yes to your will and your way. And I'm gonna say no to my will and my way. I'm gonna say no to my timing. I'm gonna say yes to your timing. That's what God is after in our lives. And until we can get to that place where we trust God, not just to answer our prayers, um, how we want, but when we want as well. God, if your timing is better than my timing, I trust you. And this is what God is saying. My timing is perfect. You, you think my timing is off, but it's not. Will you trust me? He goes on to say in verse four, look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. God, at the beginning of this, of this response, he draws this, this line of delineation between the proud and the righteous. And what we see throughout the rest of this passage is this, this dialogue about the proud and the righteous. Here's what happens with the proud and here's what happens with the righteous. And it's interesting because he describes what the proud are. He says, look at the proud. They trust in themselves. And as a result of them trusting in themselves, it says their way is crooked. So the proud think I'm the one with the answers. I'm the one who can fix this problem. I'm the smartest one in the room. God, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask you, but what I'm really doing is telling you what you need to do because I know. And it says they trust in themselves. They trust in their own strength, their own ability, their own good looks, their own talents, whatever it is, they trust in themselves. And as a result of them trusting in themselves, it says their way is crooked. And what it means is their, their, their path is a difficult path. This is why in scripture you see over and over and over uh, the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. What it means is that if you're living a righteous life in the eyes of God, walking with Jesus, then your steps are ordered. They are directed. He makes our paths straight. So what we see here is this line where it says, hey, the proud trust in themselves and as a result, their path is crooked, but the righteous live by their faith in God. Now, other translations say simply, the righteous will live by faith. What does this mean? Well, the word faith here in the Hebrew, it's imunah, and it means firmness, fidelity, steadfastness, steadiness. And this is a description of the righteous person's relationship with God. They have faithfulness to God. That means that their, their affection for God is firm and true and constant and steady. That they are faithful in their posture toward the Lord. That they aren't wavering. It's not that 
when they're having a good day, they're very faithful. When they're having a bad day, they're not faithful. That's not faithfulness. Faithfulness says no matter what is going on, no matter what the circumstances are, I'm going to be true. I'm going to be firm. I'm going to be constant. I will be steady in my relationship with Jesus Christ, in my affection for Jesus Christ. I'm not going to stop loving Jesus because his timing's not right. I'm not going to stop loving Jesus because he didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted. No matter what happens, I'm going to be faithful to God. And this is a sign of righteousness. So we have this line. The proud trust themselves. The righteous trust God. And this is the difference. We see this verse quoted several times in the New Testament. Actually, it's quoted three times specifically that the righteous will live by faith. It's quoted in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. It's quoted in Galatians chapter three, verse 11. And then it's also quoted by Paul in Romans chapter one, verse 17. I wanna read that to you. Let me read the preceding verse as well in verse 16. Paul says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jews first and also to the Greek. So he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And he's not talking about the actual Bible. What he's talking about is the story of Jesus because it's the story of Jesus, the good news of Jesus that has the power to transform our lives. So he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation because it is salvation because of the power of God that works through the work of Christ, what he has done. And it says it's for everyone. And then he goes on to say, for in it, he's talking about the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. From faith for faith. And this can be a little confusing, but basically, essentially what he's saying is, that the gospel and our, our approach to the gospel and receiving the righteousness of God begins with faith and ends with faith. That faith is the key to all this. And some of you might remember uh, a couple months ago, we did a series called the five solas. And one of the solas was uh, sola fide, which is faith alone. And we talked about this idea that we're not saved by works or our morality or anything else. We're saved by faith. It is my faith in Jesus Christ. And it is not my work. It is the work of Christ. And so our, our, our approach to Jesus and the gospel begins and ends with faith. That's the story. So if we could say the righteous shall live by faith alone differently, I would say it this way. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. It's only through faith that we find real life. And here's the struggle I see with so many people I talk to in our world. They are looking for life in the wrong places. They are looking for life in places they'll only find death. And I'm telling you today, the only place to find life is through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. Let me move on. Verse five, Habakkuk chapter two, verse five says this. God says, wealth is treacherous and the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave and like death, they're never satisfied. In their greed, they have gathered up many nations and swallowed up many peoples. So it's easy to look at this verse and go, okay, I have no idea what's going on. So let me just explain this to you. God is, remember the question was, God, are you going to let 
these evil people win forever. And God is delivering his answer. And what he's saying essentially is, no, I'm not. I'm going to bring judgment on the people. Who are the people? The Babylonians. So the Babylonians are coming. They're evil. Are you going to let them get away with this? And God is saying basically in chapter two, no, I am not. I'm going to take care of this for you. Okay. And he starts here. And the interesting thing is um, he's talking about the Babylonians, but there's application for us as well. That there's judgment on the Babylonians because they live this way, but there's going to be judgment on us if we approach life the same way. And so we get into this section of scripture that's called the five woes of Habakkuk. And there are five woes. You'll find out why in a moment. But he starts with this. He says, wealth is treacherous and the arrogant are never at rest. Wealth is treacherous. Now, it doesn't mean if you're wealthy, you're bad. But what it means is if we trust in our wealth, we could get in trouble easily. Because my, my mom used to say when I was a kid, easy come, easy go. Uh, we find it, but it disappears somehow. And if we trust in our wealth, we will be disappointed in our lives. The reason is that typically, if we're dealing with the, the desire for more, it's just like the grave. It's never satisfied. See, have you ever noticed that death never has never said, I'm good, I've got enough people now. You, the rest of you can just keep living. No. That's why it says their mouths are open as wide as the grave. What it's talking about is consuming. I want more. This idea that just a little more will be enough. If I just make a little more, I'll have enough. If I just consume a little more, that'll be enough. If I just have a little more pleasure, it'll be enough. And it's never, ever, ever enough. He goes on to say in verse six, but soon their captives, he's talking specifically about the Babylonians, their captives will taunt them. They will mock them saying, what sorrow awaits you thieves. Now you will get what you deserve. You've become rich by extortion, but how much longer can this go on? Suddenly your debtors will take action. They will turn on you and take all you have while you stand trembling and helpless because you have plundered many nations. Now all the survivors will plunder you. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. Here's the problem. The problem isn't to have wealth. The problem is trusting in your wealth. The problem is thinking my money will solve my problems. My possessions will solve my problems. If I have enough money, then I'll be fine. And what he makes clear is there will never be amount of, an amount of money that's enough for you to actually be fine because you will want more and more and more. I would be willing to, to guess that most of the people in this room or in Blairsville or watching online probably make more money today than you've ever made before. Now, some of you don't, but for most of you, you probably do. And the truth is, according to statistics that we see in our country, um, it's still not enough because the average American still lives on about 101% of their income. And I don't know if you're bad at math, but 101 is more than 100. <laughs> so what it means is, we are consuming more than we are making. We are spending more money than we are bringing in. And that is a problem because if we think our wealth will solve our problems, all more wealth does is just give us more problems. There was a theologian one time who said, more money, more problems. Was that too far? That's okay. 
What sorrow awaits you thieves. And the idea is, woe to you who are greedy, is what it says, essentially. Woe to you who are greedy. Woe to you who think a little more will be enough. It will never be enough. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 9 says this, What sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly. Now let me stop here. This is the second woe. The first woe was greed. The second woe is stated out here. What sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly. Let me make this clear as well. There's nothing wrong with a big house. You can have a big house. That's not a problem. The problem is trusting in your big house, trusting in your position. He goes on to say this. You believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. But by the murders you committed, you have shamed your name and forfeited your lives. The very stones in the walls cry out against you and the beams and the ceilings echo the complaint. What he's talking about here is this sense of false security. Woe to you who are seeking security in the wrong places. You're trusting in the wrong things. See, there's nothing wrong with having a big house, but if you think a big house will save you, you're in trouble. He, he was talking about the security that the Babylonians would have by building fortresses and building strongholds. And we do the same thing. Hey, if I can just achieve enough, then I'll be secure. And what we see throughout these five woes is that they build on each other. So it starts with greed and then it moves to security. That, hey, if, if I can just accumulate enough, if I can get enough money, if I can get enough uh, esteem, if I can get enough people to like me, if I can get enough likes on social media, if I can, whatever it is, be successful enough, then I'll be secure, then I'll be okay. And the problem isn't that you are successful or that you have security, but it's that you have false security. You're trusting in the wrong things because everything in our lives can be lost except for God. And God is saying, if you are striving to secure yourself, you're gonna be in trouble. What are you trusting in? And he actually says, Hey, you've, you've built this house, but the structure of the house is crying out against you, the stones and the beams. So the very thing you thought would bring security to you is actually causing a disruption in your life. And there's so many things we think will bring us security. Well, if I just do this, if I just achieve that, then I'll be secure, then that'll be enough. And it's not. I finally convinced my wife, I think, that we need to go build a house out on a piece of property somewhere with a gas well and water well. And that way when the zombie apocalypse happens, we're gonna be okay. <laughs> and you people that think I'm crazy, you're gonna be wanting to stay in my basement. It's gonna be too late. Now I'm joking, but the reality is there are people that live this way. They think, I will be secure and I will, I will make security for myself. Here's how I will protect myself. And we find all kinds of ways of doing this. But at the end of the day, it's about trusting ourselves instead of God. Remember what it said. The proud trust in themselves and their way is crooked. But the righteous will live by faith. Am I trusting myself when it comes to my own security or do I trust God? It goes on to say in verse 12, what sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption. And now you're like, okay, I'm, we're good now. We've, this isn't me because I've never built a city. I don't even own my house, so I'm good. This can't be me. This doesn't apply, right? Verse 13, 
Has not the Lord of heaven's armies promised the wealth of nations will be turned to ash? And again, it's building on this idea, greed, security, and now it's talking about building cities. And it's this idea that, that the things we accumulate will disappear. They work so hard, but all in vain. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of God. So what does this mean? What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption. People who build their empire, build their esteem, build their reputation based on corruption and murder. Um, what we're really talking about is woe to you who use your strength or violence for the wrong purposes. Woe to you who trust in your own strength. Woe to you who trust in violence. And some of you are thinking, man, I'm good because I'm not strength, I'm not strong, and I'm not violent. I've never fought anybody. I got you. Some people aren't violent with their physical actions. Some of you are violent with your words. You will defend yourself at all cost. You, will, you would never fight someone physically, but you will destroy, you'll eviscerate them with your words. Oh, they were talking about me? Well, let me tell you about them. And you don't mind. And this is the same idea. It's the same principle. This is an extreme example, but back on October 7th, as the news was coming out of Israel about the terrorist attacks there, and stories began to be propagated in your newsfeed, and you began to see what was going on and what was happening, and you began to hear stories about the, the outrageous things that were being done to women and children and civilians. And some of the stories that I heard, I was shocked because I thought, how could one human being do that to another human being? And it dawned on me quickly, well, they can do that because they don't believe that they're human. I can, I can do this to another human because I don't believe they're actually human. They're subhuman. So I can treat them the way that Hamas treated the Israelites. And it's easy for us to judge that. And it's easy for us to look at that situation and condemn it, which we should. But here's the thing. When we eviscerate someone else with our words, the reason we can do that is because we look at them as a little bit subhuman. They're, they're not as good as we are, so I can say this about them. Uh, I told the nine o'clock service this story. Um, I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, years ago. Abby was a newborn. And I was immature, and there was a, a, a girl in our youth ministry who... Um, was very sarcastic uh, and she was uh, a little bit mean at times and she caught me on the wrong day and she said something to me that uh, was offensive to me or hurt my feelings. It was my pride, whatever it was. And I don't even remember what I said, but I fired back at her. I mean, it was in the chamber. It was locked and loaded and I just blasted her. And I'm telling you when I did it, it was hilarious and it felt good and I got her good. And I don't remember what I said, but I remember the look on her face. And I was her youth pastor. I was supposed to protect her. And instead of that moment, I, I victimized her. And in that moment, 
for just a second, I looked at her as less than human. I can treat you this way because you're less valuable than I am. And what I failed to remember is that every human being is made in the image of God. They are the image bearer of God. And they have inherent value because they're the image bearer of God. And if I can approach someone and I can dominate them with my strength or my position, or I can treat them violently, whether it's my actions or my words, what I'm doing, and the only way I can do that is by looking at them as subhuman, as less than human. I disregard their humanity and their value as an image bearer of God. And so what I have to do is understand that if I trust in my strength, I'm in trouble. I don't have to do that. If I'm walking righteously, I can trust God and say, God, I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to protect myself. I don't have to provide for myself. You are the one that I'm trusting in in this moment. Verse 15. Well, sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk. You force your cup on them so you can gloat over their shameful nakedness. But soon it'll be your turn to be disgraced. Or, uh, dis- yeah, I'm sorry, disgraced. Come drink and be exposed. Drink from the cup of the Lord's judgment and all your glory will be turned to shame. Some of you right now are like, man, this is getting heavier and heavier and heavier, right? What well, sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk. So there's no historic record of the Babylonians ever just rolling kegs into cities and being like, you're going to drink. Like we don't see that historically. Um, But what it's talking about, and remember all these are building on each other. So we had, well, strength on the last woe. And this one is talking about making your neighbor drunk. So why would that be a thing? Well, the key is to look at the second part so you can expose their nakedness. So, the drunkenness is not the key issue. The key issue is me being in my strength, making someone do something that's exposing their nakedness, that's exposing their weakness. I'm going to leverage my strength to show you and the world how weak you are. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about this idea um, that's really perverse. And this is the fourth woe is perversion. You know, well, when we think of perversion, we think of like sexual perversion. But the interesting thing about this passage is the world, the Babylonians would use their strength to shame people who are weaker than they were. So they didn't mind rolling into cities and, and putting their, their power on display and shaming the communities, shaming the nations that they were conquering. They would do it willingly. And that's normal in the world we live in, in your workplace. It is normal to leverage your strength for your own gain and to make other people look weak. And that's just climbing the corporate ladder. That's just doing what you're supposed to do, right? But in the kingdom of heaven, if you're strong, your responsibility is actually to protect the weak, which is quite different than the world. In the kingdom of heaven, if you're mature, it's your responsibility to protect the immature, And to look out for the immature, not to use them for your own gain. So what happens is the enemy of our souls, Satan has has perverted and twisted what God intended for good. And he has made it the way of the world now. This is what we do in the world we live in. It's been perverted by our enemy. See, it's our responsibility as people who are strong in the Lord 
to protect people who are weak and to look out for those who are marginalized, to, to look out for those who are immature in their faith, to help those in need, not to step on those to help us get to where we wanna be. Now, when it's talking about specifically the cup, what sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk, it's really interesting. And we don't have time to get into all the implications here. But fast forward to Revelation chapter 16, verse 19, John the Revelator said this, in his vision of the future, he said, the great city of Babylon split into three sections and the cities of many nations fell into heaps of rubble. So God remembered all of Babylon's sins and he made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. You think God had forgotten what the Babylonians did to his people? Nope. He, he, he was storing up his wrath. We see this as a biblical principle that God says, I'll give you more time. I'll give you more time. My, my wrath is waiting on you. And this is what he did. They drank the, the cup filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. We see references to this in Jeremiah 51. We also see, this is ironic, in Daniel chapter five. In Daniel chapter five, the king of the Babylonian empire, he gets drunk at a party. And I'm, I'm sanitizing this because there's kids in the room. He gets drunk at a party and he curses God and God kills him. And it's interesting that, that the cup, that wine, drunkenness led to his demise, even in this moment. There's so many correlations and so many connections. Again, we don't have time to get into it. But at the end of the day, it's this perversion of what is good. Is it good to be strong? Yes, it's good to be strong. But we have to use that good thing for the glory of God, not for our own good. Is, it, is wine a good thing? Now you could argue with me on this. I think it's, it's something that God has given us. I don't drink, but I also believe that it's not prohibited in scripture for you to drink wine. So is it a good thing? Yeah, it can be a good thing if it's leveraged for the right reasons. But when it's leveraged in this way to abuse and take advantage of other people, it's evil, it's perverted. And this is the fourth woe, the woe against perversion. Let me move on. Verse 17, you cut down the forests of Lebanon. Now you will be cut down. You destroyed the wild animals. So now their terror will be yours. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. And God is just saying, hey, in the same way you chop down these forests, I'm going to chop you down. God is not pulling any punches here. He is not playing any games. Verse 18, what good is an idol carved by man or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us. To speechless stone images, you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless inside. Now, this is the, the fifth woe, and it's the woe about idolatry. And you go, well, I'm good. I am good. There's no shrine in my house. I've never carved a graven image to worship. I'm good. Well, that's great. I'm proud of you. Well done. I guess I can skip this part then, right? Here's the thing. We think idolatry is what we see in third world countries, uh, tribes in, in South America and Africa. This is what they do. In India, they have these shrines with these temples and that's what we think idolatry is. But really it's much more insidious than that because idolatry isn't, 
It can be worshiping bad things, but for us, it's, it's more sinister than that because idolatry typically is worshiping good things instead of God. See, it's taking a good thing and making it a supreme thing. Well, I still love God. I just don't love God as much as I love this thing. And it can be something as good as your family. You will melt. I, I love my family. You, you want me to love my family. Absolutely. You should love your family. Remember that just pro tip, love your family. That's a good thing, right? Okay. So you should love your family. The problem isn't that you love your family. The problem is that you love your family more than you love God. I love my girls, but I can't love my girls supremely. I have to order my affections correctly and say, God, I love you first. And because I love you first, it allows me to love my wife and my girls and my family and my church family the way I should love them. But when I flip that, when I go, oh, man, my family's supreme, then all of a sudden everything else is out of order. It's idolatry. I love my wife. She's awesome. I'm in covenant with her. But I can't love her supremely. It's idolatry. I want you to love your job. There's nothing wrong with loving your job, but you shouldn't love it supremely. I want you to love your hobbies, your, your abilities, the things that God has given you, the gifts he's given you are all good things. But if you love them supremely, they are idols. And we've gotta be careful because idols cannot bring us life. I love how God says it. He says, woe to you who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us. Idol, help me. And the idol's dead. It is a piece of wood. There is no life in it. Idol, I need some help here. Can you teach me? The answer is no. It cannot because it is dead and lifeless. And it even says they may be overlaid with gold and silver. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how pretty your idol is. It doesn't matter how attractive it is. It doesn't matter how, how glittery it is. It is still dead and lifeless. If you're trusting in anything other than God, it is idolatry and it is leading to death. There is no help for you there. And in the same way that Habakkuk is saying, God, are you gonna help us? God is saying, yes, I will. But when we trust in idols, the idol has no power to even say, yes, I will, let alone to actually help. And he's saying to the the Babylonians, hey, you're trusting in your, your idols, your false gods. It's going to end badly for you because when you need help, there is no help to be offered. And the problem for us is we have our idols and we think that our idols are gonna help us. They're gonna protect us. They're gonna provide for us. And they can't because they're man-made. It was never intended to do that. What are you trusting in? Verse 20 says this, this is how God resolves this whole interaction. He says this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. I love this. Let me start with the second part of that verse first. Let all the earth be silent before him. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral before and at the funeral, maybe somebody's cell phone went off at an inappropriate time. You're, you're, I'm in the middle of the eulogy and all of a sudden, Kanye starts playing from somebody's phone in the middle of the, I'm not going to sing it, but you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, wait a second. Uh, and it's awkward. Why is it awkward? Because you're supposed to be quiet at a funeral. Why? Because you're supposed to be reverent. 
I remember growing up at the church I grew up in, my mom, um, it was a constant battle to keep me quiet. She couldn't do it. She, you be quiet. You be quiet. She told me a story one time. I don't remember it, but she said one time uh, I was playing in church and she was sitting by me and I just wouldn't be quiet. And she finally said, she leaned over and said, shut up. <laughs> and very loudly in the middle of church, I said, don't tell me shut up. <laughs> I guess I got the last laugh on that one. I'm sure she beat me with an inch of my life when I got home, but still. You're supposed to be quiet, right? Why are we quiet? Well, it's a sign of reverence. Hey, we're gonna be reverent in this moment. We're not gonna be loud. There's a place to be loud. You don't have to be reverent at a football game. You shouldn't be. If everybody stood there and they were quiet, and that'd be weird, right? But there's a place for reverence. And in this moment, God is calling on reverence. He said, let all the earth be silent before him. In the Old Testament, they talk a lot about the fear of the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what it's talking about is this reverential fear. It's not that we're terrified of God, but we revere God in such a way that we know who He is and we know who we are. Think about it this way. If you were on a hike in the woods and you come around the bend on this path and you come across a bear and her cubs, you would probably be a little afraid, rightly so. You probably wouldn't treat the bear familiarly, right? You probably wouldn't be like, bear, it's been a while, what's up? Come here, little sweet cub. Like that would be the end of your story. Like game over, right? you would figure out what do I need to do in this moment because, okay, I know who this bear is. This bear is powerful. It's got a, a mouthful of teeth. It's got claws and I trimmed my fingernails today. So I'm like, I'm not any help at all. Like, I can't defeat this bear in a battle. So there'd be wrong for us to be proud in that moment. What do we do? We go, okay, I'm gonna be calm. I'm gonna be reverent. I'm, I'm gonna revere this bear because I respect the bear. I understand the bear's ability and I understand my ability. And too many times we come to God and we're not reverent with God. We forget who God is. We forget his power and his authority. We forget his holiness and we treat him as if he's our buddy. And God is calling on us to revere him. And at times, just simply be silent before him. When we're bombarding him, with our requests. God, I need you to do this. God, fix this. God, heal this. God, bless this. God, help me with this. I think there are times that we just pause. We just silent before the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. When I revere God, I learn what wisdom really is. Psalm chapter 25 says this, who is the man who fears the Lord? It's talk, again, it's talking about reverence. Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. When I revere God, God will show me the right path in my life. It says his soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. So here's the benefit of reverence in my life. When I revere and honor God in my life, my kids benefit from that as well. There's a tangible benefit for my children whenever I live a life that honors God. It goes on to say in verse 14, listen to this. 
The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. Did you hear that? When we honor God and revere God, God calls us friend. He says, hey, come here, friend. Let me show you something. I know, you're, I know you know this because you go to church, you go to summit. It's a great church. That's what God would say. <laughs> so you know about covenant, but, but let me show you everything you need to know about our covenant together. I think about, you know, once a year, the, the person from the insurance company comes in and talks to us about our benefits for the staff and helps us understand what, what we have access to. And I can imagine God going, I know you know we're in covenant, but let me tell you what you have access to. Let me tell you what, what you are let in on because of our covenant. Why does he do that? Because we revere him. We revere God and he is our friend. First part of that verse. But the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is in his holy temple. We've talked this whole day about the proud versus the righteous. The proud trust in themselves and their way is crooked, but the righteous live by faith alone. My faith in God, I trust God. God, I, I trust you to protect me and provide for me. I trust you to make my way. I trust you to give me security. I trust you to give me strength. I trust you to do these things that I can't do on my own. So God, I trust you. I'm gonna choose the path of righteousness it says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Here's the thing. God is saying in this moment, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not absent on the job. I'm not calling in sick. I'm not out for lunch. I'm not having a bad day. The Lord is in his holy temple. God, where are you? Have you forgotten about me? God, what are you going to do about this evil? And God says, hey, I'll take care of it. And he outlines what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to do it. And then he concludes by saying the Lord is in his holy temple. Hey, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Remember at the beginning, we talked about this word faith, the righteous shall live by faith. And the word was imunah. And it means firmness, fidelity, steadfastness, steadiness. And then I challenged you about your walk with God. Is your walk with God firm and true and constant and steady? And the reason our walk with God should be all four of these things, firm and true and constant and steady is because this is a perfect description of our God. This is who he is. he is. He is in his holy temple. The world feels like it's falling apart, but we can trust God because God sees what's going on. He is in his holy temple and our God is firm and true and constant and steady. I don't have to worry about what he's thinking today or if he's having a bad day, if things aren't going his way. I don't have to worry about if he's paying attention because our God is constant and firm and steady. He is true. So no matter what you're going through today, I wanna encourage you in this. The Lord is in his holy temple. He is on the throne. There is nothing that is going to pull him away from that. He sees you, he knows what you're going through, and he will take care of you if you will trust him. If you will say, I'm going to live by faith alone. I'm not gonna trust my own way. I'm not gonna trust in myself. I'm gonna trust in God. Hey, right now I'm gonna turn it over to our host in Blairsville. They're gonna close out our time, give you a chance to respond. I love you guys. Have an awesome day. So today the call really is pretty simple. 
the invitation is this. Who are you trusting in? Are you trusting in yourself? Because the righteous trust, in, uh, the, the, the wicked, the proud trust in themselves and their way is crooked. But the righteous trust in the Lord. The righteous live by faith alone. So I just want to encourage you to take, take the step and say, I'm done trusting in myself and I want to trust in God. I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ today. So I'd love for you to bow your head and close your eyes all this place. Lord, thank you that you are faithful, that you are true, that you are constant, that you are, are, are true in every sense of the word, that Lord, you are in your holy temple today, that you are not asleep on the job. You are paying attention to the world we live in. And God, more than that, you see my life. You see the life of every person in this place and the people watching online. And I pray that Lord, we would know that we are seen by you, that we are not overlooked, that our problems and our hurts and our difficulties they are known by you and that you are doing something about it. So God, we trust you today. And Lord, I pray that we would honor you and revere you, that we would respect you for who you are. God, I'm sorry for the times that I have treated you too, too comfortably in too familiar a way, that I've thought too much of myself and too little of you. I pray today, God, that each of us would honor you the way you deserve to be honored, that we would respect you the way you deserve to be respected. And I pray for those that have never surrendered their lives to you, never said yes to you. Let today be the day we say yes. Let today be the day we begin our journey of faith by putting our faith in you. Lord, let us walk by faith by trusting in you today. Now with nobody looking around, your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you'd say to me, Mel, I know I'm not serving God. I know I'm not in a relationship with Jesus, but I wanna be, I wanna surrender my life to him today. I'm tired of living my own life by my own way. I know I can't do it, so I need God's help. I need to walk with the Lord. I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I wanna pray with you. If that's you and you say, Mel, I wanna be included in this prayer. I wanna surrender my life to Jesus and his Lordship today. Would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? I'd love to pray for you. And you can put your hand right back down. Is there anybody? You'd say, Mel, that's me today. Pray for me. I wanna be included in that prayer. Thanks, sir. I see you. Awesome. Who else would say, Mel, that's me. Pray for me today. Include me in this prayer. I wanna surrender my life to Jesus. I wanna walk by faith. want everybody in the place, whether you raised your hand or not, to pray this prayer with me out loud. I'm gonna give you the words to say, but this isn't my prayer, this is your prayer from your heart to God today. So I want everybody in the place to pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your one and only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life is surrendered to you. Use me for your glory and help me walk by faith for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, Scripture says you're a new creation. We would love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So if you would, simply fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you and then stop by our next step table out in the lobby by the main doors. Or if you'd prefer, you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000. Let us know about your decision that way by selecting the prompt that says salvation. And then you can stop by and talk to our team out at the, info, or out at the next step table when we finish here in a moment. Um, here's what's gonna happen right now. Eric's gonna lead us in a final song. We're gonna sing together. 
And as we sing this last song, our prayer team's gonna be available and we'd love to pray for you no matter what need you may have in your life, no matter how big or small. Maybe you even wanna stand in for somebody else's need. You've got a friend or loved one going with something. Uh, let us pray for you today. We'd love to, and we'd be honored to. So please take advantage of that. And then we'll be dismissed in just a moment. And I do wanna encourage you as well. Um, if you didn't sign up for Next Step Weekend, but you wanna stick around, it'll be out in the lobby starting about one o'clock. So stick around, we'd love to have you for that. Stand your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go. I hope you never get tired of hearing me say this because I never get tired of saying it. I love you guys more than you know. And I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have an awesome day. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.